This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Cold, blustery weather, whether it's 10 or 15 or 20 centimeters, this is all luxury, as they say. When you consider, you know, and I was, against the backdrop of what some of our veterans endured low the 70-plus years ago when some enlisted as kids, 16 years of age, went off to fight a shooting war. At the tender age of 18, some looking for adventures, others perhaps uh, just recognizing it was a duty. And when duty called, you answered that call. Mervyn Fisher was one such vet. Mervyn Fisher is a World War II veteran who at 93 has been festooned with medals. Sometimes felt guilty about that insofar as the story has it that he was captured in Holland in January of 1945. But he's joined us on the line to share his story and insights when it comes to a day like today. And be it every day, uh, lest we forget to remember our veterans and the sacrifice that they all made and some paid with their lives. Mervyn, it's great to have you here on the Oakley Show in Toronto. Good afternoon, sir, and uh, we thank you for your service. Oh, my pleasure. So, Mervyn, uh, you were just a kid when you answered the call of duty and went off to war. You were just a, Didn't you enlist at 16? I No, I was in the reserves at 16, but I did enlist at 17. <laughs> Against my mother's wishes, of course. Really? What was your thinking at the time? Well, things weren't that good for young people. All my friends were going uh, into the service, either the Army, Navy, or Air Force. So it was a lonely old place back in Toronto. So I I just, I went right from the reserves, and I went over to... Uh, Stanley Barris and enlisted, and I had my card, so I just showed him, and he said, "We'd be glad to have you." <laughs> so there you are. That's that's as far as it went. You know, I didn't even need a medical. My car, I was already in the militia. Right. So he just said that would be great. So they sent me off to Brampton. And there was uh, training, I guess, and then uh, shortly thereafter, you went into the theater of war. They shipped you overseas. Well, first of all, I had to go to Camp Borden, and uh, do you want to know, they caught me up there just be around the time they were going uh, to England. Mm-hmm. So they held me back for six months till I turned 18, to, and then I they shipped me over there. And it wasn't long over there till they, I, I was in the tank corps from Borden, but uh, they took me out of the tank corps and put me into the infantry. And you know what? I didn't even know how to hold a rifle. Huh. So I, I, I had to go up to Newcastle and take some more training. Uh-huh. After that, they sent me down to the coast and off to Belgium I went, and that was five months after Juneau Beach. Right, right. So I went up from Belgium, stayed in Belgium for till they assigned me to a regiment. And they assigned me to the Essex Scottish. So I went to Nijmegen, and they, in turn, sent me out to a bush somewhere, (laughs) (laughs) and they were on location, and they were just waiting for a big blitz. And sure enough, in January, we got a blitz, and uh, away I went. But I I had a hard time getting through the first one, because we got wiped out, and we all... Got left out in the field and was scattered all over. This is in January of 45 when you're seeing active duty now in yes. 
the Low Country in Holland, I believe, right? That's right. We we were doing on routine patrols and working uh, out there. That's that's scary too. People think that's oh, that's nothing, but boy, that's scary because. The German patrol's going one way and uh, you're going the other, and boy, you've got to be quiet. <laughs> yeah. And I tell you, they, I, I was the tail end of that, and they, and they stopped, and I ran into the guy ahead of me because I was looking backwards. <laughs> <laughs> right, so uh, the, the ordeal uh, really came to a head when you were, uh, I guess, scrambling to find some safety, uh, and you went up to a farmhouse that looked abandoned. What happened then? Well, it looked abandoned, but believe you me, they had everything blacked out. And uh, the sad part is that uh, I went around uh, and there was uh, a German guard on duty at the back end. And boy, I and he stuck that uh, rifle at me. I didn't say much. Hmm. I just I just dropped everything, and he took me into the basement and. And told me, you didn't want to know they knew more about where I was than I did. <laughs> yeah, they knew all about all the regiments, the Queen's Own, the RHLI. They, they could tell me where every one of us was. Right, not to be underestimated, pretty formidable em- enemy at that time. Oh, was it ever. Yeah. Was it ever. So, uh, Mervyn, then what happened? I mean, so they've got you captured now in this farmhouse in Holland, and uh, it's January of '45. Uh, what happened then? Where'd you go? Well, they they marched us to uh, a place where they could uh, had a, a railroad line and some boxcars, and uh, they sheltered us there. Uh, it was quite a march. We lost a few of our wounded on the way to that, and that that is sad because. They were too very, very uh, badly wounded and just couldn't do it. So they just left them to die. You know, that's sad to start with. They put us all in these boxcars. And the next day, and I guess it was around dusk, they started moving us off. And you just keep bumping along and uh, uh, they keep feeding you. And uh, mind you, they don't feed you much, bread and water almost. But mm. uh, we ended up going into the uh, Stalag 11B. Where was that? That's in, I I never have found out exactly. Mm. Uh, and I've inquired a number of places. But uh, it, it's... Uh, Somewhere outside of, uh, what's a main town in uh, Germany? I'm not quite sure, but it's in Germany anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm guessing far, far behind the enemy lines at this point. Uh, Yeah, far enough behind that uh, they uh, sure didn't have to worry. It was in a camp with uh, British and uh, Russian and uh, English. We we uh, had uh, the uh, mostly of our own uh, infantry. Uh, we, I didn't see like airmen and navy or anything in that area. Well, I guess mostly our own local 
troops that were in the area. How were you treated? Very good. And, I, and people say, you got to be kidding. And I said, no, because we had the uh, old guard, we called them. They, they were either too old to uh, do any good for Hitler, so uh, they were put on guard duty of... of uh, all the uh, prisons uh, for prisoners of war, all the stalags, and uh, they weren't eating well either. One guard said to me, and you know, they spoke not bad English, hmm. which surprised me. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, we're not eating any better than you. We'll be glad when the war is over. So was there a sense at this point, I mean, it's January now of 45, uh, that the war was sort of entering its final phases? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All of us in the uh, satellite all felt the same way. It can't last too long. Don't try, don't ever try to escape because a few of them didn't were shot. You know, uh, they don't, they don't fool around anymore. Yeah. Again, with uh, Mervyn Fisher, World War II vet, just uh, recounting on this Remembrance Day uh, the experiences that he, as a lad at 18, uh, experienced in the theater of war in Holland, captured, taken to a prisoner of war camp in Germany. My understanding is, uh, Mervyn, over the years, uh, confirm or deny, you had a lot of survivor guilt. I did, because you know we're told that's one of the things you do not uh, you try not to. How's I? I will say not. Do not try not to get captured, because uh, you, the interrogation. You got to be careful. So, and if you do get, don't tell them anything. But I want to tell you, the lieutenant in that uh, German uh, army said to me, she said, "You don't have to worry, because I know all. You, all you need to do is give me your." Uh, Regiment number, and that's all you need to tell me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your name and your regiment number, you don't have to tell me anything. And that's when he started telling me, you don't need to tell me, I'll tell you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he told me more than I knew. Right. So as the war wound down uh, into April and May, I guess, uh, VE Day, uh, were you still in that camp, or uh, how were you? I left there, yes. Believe it or not, the war was officially over. They told me on May the 7th, which was my birthday. Oh, congratulations. Nice, happy birthday present for that, eh? Wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and uh, on May the, May the 8th, believe it or not, uh, you know, we were repatriated by Field Marshal Montgomery. Mm. And he's a quite a nice old chap. <laughs> Monty, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I liked him. He, he's... He said, "Get these guys out of here because uh, uh, they've been they've been through enough." Yeah. So he had a he had a plane sitting out in the field, and he loaded us on there. And I ended up in Farnborough Hospital in England. Oh, happy day! Uh, happy day. Well, that was back in those days. I was very lucky because they they said uh, I had got uh, hepatitis and dysentery and. I had lost, in that three months, I had lost 30 pounds, hmm. I, and I looked sick. So he took one look at me, and he said, go. <laughs> yeah. 
Mervyn, you know, it's fascinating because uh, as you recount these stories, I think for a lot of folks, uh, you know, maybe there's a disconnect because it's so long ago now. But uh, every year on this date, uh, this is why we strive to remember because these are real stories, heartfelt, and, uh, you know, the things that you endured. And as you say, uh, some of the guys never made it back. In fact, you know, even the wounded that thought maybe they'd survived, uh, they die on the trail to the prisoner of war camp. So Remembrance Day, I'm guessing, has a special meaning for you. And and by extension, uh, are you heartened that more and more people, it seems like this is the recent report anyway, are starting to recognize the significance of Remembrance Day? It saddens me that uh, they do are doing less. And, and it, I am happy to see it coming back. And this last venture with, uh, and you were in, Global was in on that, is uh, No Stone Left Alone. Yeah, tell us about that. What's that? Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, Jean Miso, uh, who I have worked with for over 10 years now, uh, is a wonderful lady. She's a teacher. She was disappointed that the kids don't even know what a poppy is. So she got into all of this. She wrote, uh, I think she's on her seventh book. She's got me in her first one. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, she's she works hard at this one in Hamilton. And uh, this is my second year with her. And, yes, it, it, and it, it, oh, this last one that we did on Tuesday, yeah, I choked up a little because, uh, you know, it's beautiful to see the children laying the poppies uh, on at the on the tombstones of all those young boys, and they're only young. There's what, fifteen, sixteen, maybe thirteen. I don't. They're all young, and you look out there and see them, and it's nice to know that they're doing something now, so the children will learn about what their forefathers went through because some of them i'm sure they had great grandfathers and what have you and they haven't been told them very much of what's going on and it's nice to see it coming back that is heartwarming for me yeah you know in a different time and place uh, they too might have had to answer the call of duty thanks for listening to the john oakley show podcast be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.